0: To Upholding Matters, I'm your host, David Paul. Tonight I had a thought on my set cards I wrote, Here to make sense of it. That's why I'm here. I hope that's why you're here. And that's what we're going to try and do. We're going to try and make sense of it. Now, last time I spoke about a speech I wrote out for the Closing of the city business and the city council meeting. And I talked about truth because what is that? Well, it's dual. In other words, for every great truth on the opposite end of that is another great truth that's equally true. Now, and then I tried to clarify it. Doesn't mean that at the other end of a correct statement, Isn't a lie. I mean, that's usually how it goes. Someone's telling the truth. But great truth is dual. And I found this today and it made me chuckle. And I think it's worth sharing with you. It's from a book I'm reading about time travel and states of mind that allow it. Well, how's 1491? You might remember coming. I have set that aside and there's just been so much, but I intend to get back to that. But this book is, is kinda neat and Hector Berlow's he said that time is a great teacher, but unfortunately it kills all its pupils. So true. And so too it is that we have to pay attention to what's going on and it's very difficult. It's it's confusing to really get a grasp of it, but that's why we're here. We're gonna take a stab at it. So earlier in the week, there was the stuff about the Trump Foundation and the lawsuit that has forced them to liquidate. You know, it's a civil matter, so it's not criminal in the sense that someone's going to go to jail, but they were found to be nothing more than a private checkbook for Donald Trump, and they shut it down. And They did have a clip, I remember. There was a uh, debate that he skipped and he was going to go raise money for veterans. And then he claimed he raised $6 million and then that money just was never, you know, they had some event and gave away a little money. But if you look at this lawsuit about the Trump Foundation, it's astounding. It just, you know, it's like white-collar crime, these things, just unless you commit a Bernie Madoff magnitude sort of a fraud, I mean, nobody even cares. And in this case, Donald Trump brought this on himself. And it's really hard to even have sympathy if you watch the debates and all the pre-election campaigning stuff and how He was always hammering on the Clinton Foundation. And it's just an exercise in showing you how to, well, it's almost, you know, I don't want to give him any credit he doesn't deserve, but it's sort of like an art of war thing. He just refuses to yield and doesn't see any other thing and just attack, 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 even on the thing that is his greatest weakness or something that could be easily proved over the allegations that he throws around wildly. And of course I wasn't there, but I do have to believe through reason and common sense with all the inquiries that have been put into the Clinton foundation and all the questions and, you know, just the coverage. If there was anything like this Trump stuff, it it would have been brought out. It seems to make sense. I guess this is a test for all of us to learn the limits of loyalty and certain aspects of human behavior because I don't know how people aren't feeling duped when they read these court transcripts that have been put together with great scrutiny. You know, great effort has been put into crafting a civil case that will stand up and he held up in court. So Trump never could defend himself in these matters. And now with Michael Cohen and all the tapes and all the business and all the connections, I mean, this small potato stuff of the Trump Foundation, it's, it's just small potatoes. And this just came to my mind. It's fun little change up here and the e pluribus unum i spoke about in our last episode i found a plate at a goodwill store that's a bicentennial printed on a you know i can't say remember what plate designer mint put it out but it's a uh, 200th anniversary and it's so it's over 40 years old and it's pretty cool, and it has e pluribus unum really big and bold right in the middle of this golden plate with the 13 original colonies, and for two bucks, what a steal. And so also kicking around this week, what I, I would call a stealing of public trust, this new acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker. There's uh, been a suit filed by 20, I think it is, Attorney General's... Of different states in the country, that just mainly point out that he is unqualified and illegally appointed, and they want him to be forced down. And they ask, well, there's a new guy coming, and why not just wait? Well, it'll take months, and my goodness, months, months are an eternity at this point. And I guess you would put on the positive side of the ledger this one today. It's been in the works, and the Senate has come together with a bill for prison reform. Now, what you have to remember is that this is only for federal prison, and there's a small percentage of our huge number of incarcerated people who are in federal prison. so most are in state prisons. But this will... Do something, and it will change convictions. And let's face it: if you got forty years for some crack cocaine, and forty months for powdered cocaine, or even less, that's just well, it's just wrong. You know, no one should go to jail for addiction. I mean, you spread that pain, and it's it's like any other disease: anger sickness. You know, it's just, we spread these things to the other. That's why we have to uphold the right things and put forward purposeful goodness rather than confused. I can't even tell you why I did that. And I don't like to be skeptical, but, you know, the reporters just tell you what they said, and it's supposed to be a great thing because in it are monies for rehabilitation whatever that means job training and this is the other part that always gets me they they do that they try and teach you job skills and interviewing skills and but there are no jobs so it makes it kind of hard to get all trained up when you're really not even sure where you can go to work that's why paying people i think is a good thing if you can actually get some productive service out of it and help them contribute. I mean, my goodness, that's the best thing in the world, to contribute. So there was an NAACP meeting this week. It was the first after the contentious election, and it went rather smoothly. I had a great time with the local sheriff's captain, and we talked about our city and the new police force and our new chief and all these things that are just so uncertain at this point. But I, I like talking about them. I like keeping them up and open and flowing. And out of it, there came more stuff about the homeless because the city is doing things that they need to do with the homeless. And some of them don't appear if you paint them certain ways as, as kind, and here's where the complexity of truth does come in because some things aren't kind to not help people that could easily be helped that's that's the worst thing that's not necessarily just the city's fault by any stretch it's the county and the state who really bear the major part of this responsibility i mean we could have done things it's same thing with our prison you know they call them correctional institutes and they're really not correctional institutes at all. They're warehouses and torture chambers and a bad idea from go. So I'm all for prison reform. But there has to be some actual mitigation, some actual help for the people that we're going to release from these prisons. I mean, we got them out. My goodness, that's that's crazy. A hundred times what another guy got. That's just not Right. But there has to be somewhere to go, not just add it to our homeless population. I just don't want to get fooled again. Our homeless commission with the county, the consortium commission, whatever group of people that get together and give their time, all these professionals and service providers and people that are on the cutting edge of actually caring and trying to help are kind of put off again because the meeting for this month was canceled, but I wanted to bring some things to people about what I've recently understood. And, you know, everybody's interested and NAACP is interested in having a stand. I got the pleasure to see them in action at the Salvation Army shelter this week, feeding the homeless, kicking in, taking a turn, just being part of the community and welcoming the people that are there in need of help, and it just makes, makes for a much better community. And in the end, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that's what we wish for everyone, I would hope, a chance to live in the greatest country in the world in spite of and while working on the problems we have. And we're going to get much more into our national debate in our next segment, so stand by. Welcome back. And let me say, today is the 20th of December, 2018. And today I fell down. And I actually fell on the ground, so it's not just a metaphor, but I have to tell you, I felt like I hit the ground long before I actually fell. Now, I talked yesterday about the victory of the senators coming together to put up a criminal justice reform package, and I wanted to mention that one of the commentators I saw kind of chalked it off to, you know, why this magical thing is happening now, to that the suburban kids, and I think, in other words, he meant white, are getting picked up on charges. So that's what hits home. It's when it hits home that it hits home. Now, my home My mental space is a country, a United States of America, that is pursuing excellence into the future, setting the trends, protecting the world, uh, leading by example, and being something that's aspired to by all people that want to be free. That's the mental space that is my America. And it's very difficult to see that challenged in such a way. And I did like yesterday when I saw Nancy Pelosi say that America can withstand this, but we shouldn't have to. And that's that just about sums it up. So I have all these other notes about stuff I wanted to talk about in this second half. And some of them are, are very interesting, like this guy Roger Stone, a friend of Trump's, who had something to do with the WikiLeaks and the Russian hacking of the emails and all of that. He's, you know, there's action there. There's paperwork. He has been uh, said to be saying himself he'll be indicted. So there's a bunch of tentacles of that that are uh, telling and then there's the bit about Michael Flynn in court. He did something or his lawyers a week ago in accepting the plea or something. He put something about, like, he was set up. And today this Judge Sullivan, he, um, or whatever this happened, this Judge Sullivan smacked him down by calling him basically a traitor, saying he sold out his country and asking the prosecution, the Mueller lawyers, if he could have been charged with treason. And again, there's a little misunderstanding. It's not just for wartime, but it's, you know, there hasn't been a trial for treason since any of these judges have been on the bench in betrayal or treason or whatever you want to call it. When you do certain things like sell information or trade information for money uh these are some of the accusations now with the Trump Tower in Moscow so the, anyway, this judge Sullivan really gave it to Flynn, and I haven't done justice to it, and I think that if you're interested, it's pretty easy to look up and it was it was uh it was a smackdown. So, you know, just drip, drip, drip. Before the election, people are still pointing out that there was this magical 10% tax cut Trump was talking about for the middle class in addition to the other tax cut for the rich, richer uh, tax brackets. And one of the things that, Has aggravated tensions lately. uh, You know, was the um, election, midterm election business where Trump sent the troops down to the border to block the caravan that wasn't really coming. And so there was some midterm political tension with General Mattis, who is now the Secretary of Defense. And if anybody remembers, The history of this, Mad Dog Mattis, he's a Marine four-star general. You know, he's one of Trump's generals in the beginning, and the one that everybody says is uh, helping keep the train on the track. But he wasn't happy about sending the troops down to the border. And he had a pick for Joint Chiefs of Staff that was rejected by Trump, but he put somebody else in. So there's all this tension, and you just wonder, how how can a man of principle like that continue to work for Trump? But he was a placeholder trying to save the world, trying to remind this guy of what's right. So now yesterday, as I finished recording this, it was just that Trump had tweeted out That he was going to pull the troops out of Syria and lift sanctions against some Russian oligarch who would then sell his shares to a bank that's also sanctioned by our government. And that's, well, that's dizzying enough. But now today, the culmination of it all, and General Mattis, Secretary of Defense Mattis, came into the Oval Office and had a frank discussion with Trump, they say, and then resigned. And let's not lose sight of how historic this is. This is historic. I can't find another word for it. It's, you know, it's some of this stuff, the craziness of it trivializes it, but really, These are times that, you know, I don't know if a science fiction writer has created such a plot with such a a deeply, I don't know, you know, I'm out of words. The Manchurian candidate, I hate to borrow, but here's a guy suborned totally to some foreign power and lifting sanctions and pulling out of Syria to allow that to go to Russia and Turkey, and then they'll just slaughter the Kurds that were our allies and relied on us and believed us when we said we wouldn't do that to them in the end. So, today, in addition to Secretary Mattis having enough and giving his resignation and his face to face critique to Trump, I, that's what a wonderful moment that would have been to have a real man talk to, I don't know what you call this guy, but he's a narcissist who has us in grave, grave danger. And then, in addition now, he's, he's going to precipitously pull us out of Afghanistan. And all of these things are, I mean, if you gave Vladimir Putin a genie in a bottle and three wishes pulling out of Syria and pulling out of Afghanistan would probably be two of the three. So Donald Trump has given him not only a a genie and three wishes, but a Christmas present and a whole bunch of other things. Because I know, listen, there are subtleties, you know, behind behind the scenes. If like this Erdogan of Turkey said that he'd had it and he's going to just forge in there and, you know, they have a huge army and just start kicking some ass. Well, our force couldn't hold them back or the Kurds or the, forgive me for not knowing the acronym of the, they call the fighters, but, um, you know, this is a thing, the PPC or whatever they are, Erdogan calls them terrorists. We call them freedom fighters. It's one of those crazy situations where Whoever's really got the biggest army can set the terms. And right now, that's Erdogan and Turkey. They have a huge military. And if they're intent on doing this, well, we have to... I mean, they're a NATO ally, so it's even more complex. And I don't pretend to understand every bit of it, but I know you can't give up ground you held without establishing something that's residual. You know, that's our secret, really, in the world. We have bases all over, and we can fly in and out. And we have such an operative military capability. It's just its really amazing. And that suffers a little bit when we have to give up ground and, you know, hallowed ground we fought and died for and lose those forward capabilities and all the benefits that come from harmonious relationships with the people who live in the area that we're trying to help that's that's what america is so i'm saying it's it's complex i could be wrong maybe this is a good move on both accounts i don't think so uh, a lot of people that know what they're talking about don't think so but You have to leave open the chance that, I mean, you know, no matter what our duty, I think, is to help guide it in the right way. So if we complain or if we protest, we do it with civility and don't let it break down into an emotional thing. It's it's really an intellectual exercise to consider the facts and figure out the course of action. But to have the Secretary of Defense resign in that fashion is unprecedented. And the good news, I think, is that he's not out of there till February, almost the end. And my goodness, things don't really work that quickly anyway. So there are many ways that Pentagon can slow down these drastic changes that could do us harm. The biggest danger is that the disarray shown, the the total chaos in our own government, it just begs for some of these other state actors to flex their muscle and push their luck. And my goodness, you know, Vladimir Putin's on the march. He's doing stuff. He's got bigger ambitions. But the discord he's sown between us and our allies by having Trump as his puppet— this this is very dangerous and serious to our nation. I don't know why people can't see it. I saw something, a clip on the news from the 80s sometime when Trump was being interviewed and he was talking about being an expert in campaign finance law, bragging about how he gives money to everybody and Insinuating less directly than he did most recently that, you know, he's able to buy influence with his money. And it's just sad because now they're going to claim he didn't understand it. That's why he's innocent of the payoffs and the deception and covering it all up, which is the thing that usually gets him. But. He's an expert. He's a very stable genius. No, 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 he's not.